Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is episode 260. And today I am flying without Amanda Powell, but I've got a guest that I've been so excited to get on this show for going on six months now. We met actually down in uh, Florida at an awesome event with Ezra Firestone, and he did a bang-up talk on how his agency has been able to scale and grow. And ever since then, I'm like, this guy, I got to get him on the show. So today's guest is none other than D. Deng from Right Hook Marketing in Brisbane, Australia. Welcome, D, man. Psyched to have you on. Thanks for having me. Psyched to be on. You know you've made the big time when you make it on the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. No oh, lie. Well, we're just like the oldest one around. I think that's it. We've got the uh, we've got the age thing on our side, but no, it's guys like you and uh, a lot of the other guests that we've had on here running kick-ass agencies that are really making this thing work. And you know, I I used to be of the mindset, well, you know, I've got to sort of be selective about like other agency owners because there's only so much business to go around. Well. That is actually not the case. Everybody in the world needs services that we provide right now. And you're a Facebook and Instagram ad agency, uh, direct response. We do the same thing. And especially now in this time, people are doubling down on their direct to consumer, direct response ads and sort of laying off the brand stuff a lot. And we've talked to Facebook about this. Facebook is like, yeah, you guys are the ones that are really driving a lot of our revenue right now. So I'm of the mindset, like the more people you can get on this show, talk about what we do in a different way and see things in a different way, the better all of us will become. And the big reason why I wanted to have D on the show is that he did this bang up presentation at that event. And immediately from that point on, I was like, you know what? He's a creative, cool, and converting ad agency. And today we're going to talk about that, obviously some of the types of customers that you guys have and why your approach is, I look at your ad ad agency as maybe a little bit more on the creative side, like you guys really do focus on that. It might be stemming from you as the CEO and founder is obviously a guy who has a lot of creativity. But the thing is, is like none of that really matters because customers hire you to convert, to put in a dollar and make a return on ad spend on that dollar or hit a CPA metric or whatever it happens to be. So today we're going to be talking about how D does that in a really individual and unique way and how you can take some of these tips and strategies uh, to your business or agency consultancy. We know we have probably about half of our listenership D is agencies and consultants we found out. Yeah. So um, definitely a lot of the tips here today you're going to be able to take back and uh, it's like money in the bank. So let's get into it. Let's put some money in the bank, baby. 
Let's put some money in the bank. So just a little bit of an intro here. You said, uh, like, I saw this in, in Florida, you're the Chinese parents' worst nightmare. What exactly did you mean by that? And maybe give us a little bit of background on your story. Way to, way to open. And, and very, very intentionally, that is my opening line, my opening, I guess, pickup line, if you will, on my LinkedIn profile, which I haven't updated in just ages. Uh, <laughs> right, 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 totally. So mom and dad, you know, are lifetime corporate slaves, both retired now. And, you know, growing up in Singapore with traditionally, my parents are second, second generation Singaporean. The, the, the aspiration is always go to engineering school, go to law school, go to medical school, like that very typical stereotype, I, I guess is a stereotype for a reason. I live that for the longest time. And those are the family values. Right. Uh, so I, I tried law school, dropped out, and then, you know, went into the fire department because you have to serve your country in Singapore, got drafted into the fire department for two and a half years, finished that, and then went, okay, well, guess what, mom, I'm going to go work in freelancing TV for a while. And she's like, <laughs> TV, what are you, what, what is going, yeah, totally. And then fast forward to that, I'm go, I am I went, well, you know what? 2008's rolling by. The economy is going to crap. Uh, I'm moving to Australia. And she goes, great. Again, what? So that just rolled on through to, hey, mom, I'm starting a business. I have no idea how to start a business, but it's 2013. And I think it's high time that I start one. So just heart attack after heart attack. Fortunately, now it's back when it was my first startup, my dad used to say, so how's your uh, project going on? You know, it was right, always a project, right? right. Yeah, and then now, real business, right? Exactly. Now, now, finally, with with the agency, they're going. How's business doing? Are you guys doing okay? How are the employees? Uh, doing? So you know, you've that's their version it. of saying, "I'm I'm proud of you." Ah, gotcha. Because well, you don't good. get a lot of those. Well, gr- growing up Asian, you don't get a lot of "I'm proud of you." They, it's a bit awkward. It's a bit like, I, "I'm proud of you." <clears throat> <clears throat> right. I didn't really say that, but uh, I didn't really say that. That's good. That's good. So it's just gotten better and better. Yeah. Throwing around uh, attaboys like manhole covers, as we say here in the U.S. For me, on the other side, I grew up in an Irish family, so it was all Irish Catholic guilt. Mom's Catholic, (laughs) so we got that too. (laughs) That's good. Oh my God, that's a killer combination. (laughs) Well, you you started uh, Right Hook Digital, and you guys have really grown. And you know, we're talking before we hit the record button here. You guys are upwards of fifty people, all virtual, which is awesome. By the way, it's the way to run a business, in my opinion. And uh, you obviously feel the same way. And uh, you guys have really scaled and grown sort of like uh, on the back of a lot of creativity. But like we said in the intro, people pay you to convert and to spend money to make money on Facebook. So like, how have you grown that team, obviously, in a really intentional way? And how do you sort of marry in, in, in the way that you guys structure things inside Right Hook Digital that creative with the conversion and how do you balance all the moving parts? There's a lot of moving parts going on inside Right Hook Digital. Well, first of all, I I think it needs to be said, I used to come from the camp of it has to look pretty to work. This was before I got introduced into the world of performance marketing. This was way back when I was in video and I was working on reality television and, and all that other stuff. And once I got a peek and a taste of performance marketing and for direct response and understanding that world, it really opened my eyes to going, wait a second, 
there are layers to this. There's a reason why TV ads do not work or overly produced creative. You can, it can argue, you know, like the data that we see shows us that it just doesn't work as well as certain other types of creative that isn't as overly produced. So there's a balance here. First of all, a big portion of our portfolio lives in the world of fashion, of you know, wellness, skincare. And inherently that predicates that a lot of these founders come from a design background. They come from a branding background and, and they hold that in very high regard. And a lot of the time, do not truly understand what us nerds do on the algorithm side, right? You know, sometimes you have intake calls with them and they go, what is this whole pixel thing? And how does that work? Is that like a cookie? You know, they, they need explaining. And keeping in mind that we are there in servitude of, we, we're, we exist to be in servitude of their business and we're judged based on conversion. So much of it also is them having to, I'm doing air quotes right now, feel like the ads represent what they stand for. Right. So a lot of it was stemmed from not only necessity, but then also a respect for, for creative. A lot of it really comes down to learning from the tough mistakes. When we were a much younger agency, a lot of it comes down to that, that initial client intake and really understanding what they, the client values, understanding what their personas are, understanding if they have a brand guide, if they don't have a brand guide. Our job at that point is to know the founder's business as intimately as they can communicate it to us. Right. And we do our as best as we can. And naturally that dictates that time is a factor as well. The more we work together, the more intimate the relationship becomes and the easier the understanding becomes. But we spend a lot of time on the front end. By a lot of time, I mean a lot of effort, right? A lot of time on the front end going through almost like a mini consulting session experience so that we can understand those, those different factors and at the same time have our founders co-own that process too so that they are very much involved instead of us going, okay, well, you know what, dear client, let's just relinquish all accountability on your side. We'll go away and do all this work and come back to you and present it to you. And then you, Julius Caesar, us with a thumbs up or a thumbs down. That, that's what we did when we were a much younger agency because we thought, Clients only want one thing, their ads up yesterday. So let's try to skip the process, give them what they want. And it ended up with a lot of pain because we always got Julius Caesar thumbs down because we didn't spend enough time understanding their brand, understanding their values, understanding all those different moving parts. We came to it with a mechanical, okay, this is what we think based on our expertise is going to work because of past data. Right. And that hurt us in other different types of ways, right? Where the relationship Add, there, there's the, there was just that added friction of my ad agency doesn't understand me or why don't you understand what I'm trying to convey? And it, it's an unfortunate thing, but it's a reality. Not everyone is great at communicating what lives in their brain. Right. So we've then come up with all of these prompting questions and, and, and really cater that. It's almost like an on rails experience to go, let's ask this at this time. Let's use these templates and these references to go out of these images and out of these types of creative. Which one do you like? What resonates with you, right? And let's look at your existing social accounts to look at the different types of creative you've put forward so far. Do you love them? Do you hate them? Do you wish you could take them down? Like, where do, where do you sit with that? What would you wish would be better? And then we can then go, all right, well, now it's time to listen to us because we have some data and we've, you know, we manage like a 
in excess of a mil a month in spend. So we kind of know a thing or two based on patterns that we see. So let's apply that those learnings to what you believe is going to do really, really well based off of gut and what we believe is going to do really well based off of what we know around stages of the funnel, around messaging, around touch points, around retargeting, et cetera. That's a really hard thing to do sometimes, especially if you're coming back, well, especially with the types of customers that you have, which are a little bit more on the design and creative side. It's like, how do you marry staying on brand with conversion? Because it's not necessarily always one and the same. I mean, we were talking about some of the ad copy that some of your copywriters put together. It's not, I mean, it would make, you know, the great copywriters of the world in the past, like just you know, make their heads explode or turn over in their graves if they passed away. But like, how do you say like, well, you know, hey girl, this is something you should check out is a better ad copy than something that's very formal and on brand. Like, how do you kind of get that past sort of the, you know, so it's not like a Julius Caesar thumbs up, thumbs down kind of thing. Like we're actually, we've seen this work in some cases and maybe this less formal, less on-brand type of approach works best? Like, how do you convince them and then actually be able to execute on it? Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear, you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wilders and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Absolutely. Previously, it used to be very much how do we show undeniable data that this stuff works and just almost beat them into submission so they had to say yes. We've taken Mm -hmm. a very different tack now for everyone listening that has have not heard of who who are facing this dilemma and they have not heard of this personality called Chris Voss, V-O-S-S, CEO of Black Swan, mm-hmm. Black Swan Group. Never split the difference is the book that he wrote. Uh, he also has a tremendous tremendous, right? And it is those are the exact same print. I was unwittingly doing it to uh, Finn, my stepson, ever, you know, ever since we moved together and, and guiding him growing up. 
where you lead them to that conclusion themselves just through tactful questioning and mirroring and labeling and understanding those things. So a lot of what we do is get them to that middle ground and understanding that that, that tension always has to be there. And by tension, I don't mean tension between two people, but essentially tension between what I like to call today's dollars and tomorrow's dollars, right? A lot of, and especially in direct response, especially in performance marketing, we are judged on essentially today's dollars. And all the brandy, brandy type people, you go to any kind of brand consultancy, they're talking about building a brand and a legacy so that you put money in the bank for tomorrow's dollars, right? You are going through those really big awareness campaigns and you are locking and loading everything up because your brand can then essentially outlast all these other brands or be front of mind. So that tension right there is what we play with. And that's a very fun space to be in, in a lot of ways, predominantly because one, if we now understand, all right, there are certain guidelines and parameters to what we can say and can't say based off of what the founder believes their values are. And at the other, on the other end, it's, we almost have like an internal scale, if you will, on a, like a one to five rating around how much a client understands or any founder understands the testing mindset. If not, then we go a bit heavier on that side to be like, let's pause for a minute. I know this conversation is going great, but let's talk about this testing mindset and just letting the data tell us certain things and letting, you know, a bit, a bit qual and a bit quants, right? What I mean by that is also looking at the comments to make sure that we have resonance and be able to, even from the comments, so many times within the comments, you'll be able to find objections and angles and benefits and why people love it. And we can turn that into ads and the next angle to fuel the next round of ads. But once we understand those two things, right, how much of a testing mindset they understand and then two on the other side, how much they understand that tension between branding and conversion, cool and converting, like you're calling it, then we can start to deploy and go, okay, how about let's workshop a series of, let's call it, you know, the however many ads for the initial test. And this is the creative and this is the copy. We're going to test permutations of that. These are the primary angles that we're going to go for. And it very much becomes a, again, that line of questioning process so that they have ownership there too. And that's when we can deploy and start moving into that range of, all right, these ones produce really great results. These ones got to go back to the drawing board. But hey, guess what? This one completely surprises. This was a sleeper. Mm-hmm. Now, now, the moment they themselves can see, oh, wow, this is the ad agency is able to translate all of these technical mumbo jumbo numbers into something that I can understand. And now I understand why they said what they said previously. Let's just go with it. Because that's all it takes, right? It takes for that first taste to go, these guys kind of know what they're doing. And I was part of that process too. So it's all staying within those parameters. A huge learning for us. Before understanding that, it was very much almost like a, it was almost like a court case every single time. You present your case, <laughs> I present my case. And you're. And then, yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. You're just at loggerheads the whole time. And the unfortunate thing for any agency, which is a, a reality, is in that court case, the judge and the jury is the client. So why, why go at loggerheads instead just align everything and go, let's, let's use the Chris Voss method. Let's, let's just use that line of questioning and allow us to go. We're all on the same side here as opposed to two opposing sides. Mm. How am I supposed to do that? By the way, it's my favorite line from that book ever. Oh my goodness. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. With the most, with the most innocent, curious tone you can, you can deploy. Be like, how, how am I supposed to do that? Yeah. How am I supposed to do that? Like all of us, it's so amazing. That's if you so have amazing. not read that book and you're doing any kind of selling, convincing, we're all selling at all times. You know, totally I mean, agree. Yeah. I'm reading Oren Klapp's book again for like the fifth time. But the point is, is that, you know, you have to, especially if you are an agency or you're working with an agency, let's say, you know, because there's both listeners on the show here today, is that, yes, it is a collaborative process, but also the agency does have the experience. Like you guys have a lot of experience as to what works and what does not work. And I always sort of say that, but at the end of the day, you never really know what's going to work. You have to put money behind it to test it to cold traffic. Like, that's the thing. It's like, you don't know until you do that. Greatest ideas I've ever had in the world for ads are the ones that have done the worst. The ones that you never really think are actually going to do it are the ones that surprise the hell out of you. But you also have to be collaborative and you have to sort of think like from an agency perspective, you have to get it to the point where you're actually, it's their idea they're just buying into it and you're now doing it together, which is very much, you know, a strategy that, that Chris Voss uses in that book. Oh my so, goodness. Yeah. And it's tremendously effective and it's not manipulative either, but I mean, I think as an agency owner, you do have to do that. You have to say, all right, well, we tend to go back to, all right, this is what's worked in the past. We tend to have certain formulas. Like we were talking before, the ad amplifier is a formula. It's a framework. Well, like this, we know works. And in each one of those little columns of levels of traffic, there's certain formulas of ads that we know are effective. We found that is helpful in convincing customers to sort of coming our way without like forcing it on them. Do you guys use the same kind of things? Like how do you sort of show your, your competency level without like sounding like a know-it-all and saying, you know, we've kind of used this recipe before and we know that it works in very similar industries, very similar products, although your product is very unique and very different and, you know, it has its own brand. Like, do you tend to rely on those types of things to get people their buy-in and ultimately create high converting campaigns? Great question. A lot of what we deploy, and I've been a fan of this naturally because of my background uh, in, in film and in, in TV, we just deploy storytelling. So a really great way is to, instead of present a case as data, we present it as a story. So what I mean by that is we start by setting the scene and talking about the environment. So it's really funny that you bring this up to your client because if you humor me for a minute, I have, I have, we have this exact very similar case, right? We have this one client. In fact, you know what? Let me pull up this one slide that shows you their Shopify month-on-month numbers. Mm-hmm. And see this one area here, and we, we always screen share whenever we jump on any calls with clients. See this one area here, and I'll, I'll hover my mouse over it, or the team will hover their mouse over it, and they'll say, see the one area here? This is when they joined us, right? And it's so interesting how you see this area where it looked a bit flat, where there's a lot of testing there, Trust me, the client was nervous. We were kind of nervy as well because we know that we know what we don't know. And we know that the data has to come back and we have to put spend behind that for it to surface. But guess what? Look what happened month three, month four, month five. So with, I totally understand where you're at right now because guess what? This isn't the only client. That's, you're not the only person that's gone through that. We've, 
walked many people up this mountain before. So there is this element of trust. I just want to make sure you know that you aren't the first person that we've walked up this mountain. You definitely won't be the last. Mm-hmm. That, that's a really great way to do it. And also at the same time, sometimes we pull it out and we'll play games like, like a pick which ad you think worked better. So we show them to, you know, anonymized ad types and we'll go, which one do you think performed better? And just, just, you know, again, humor me, this little game A and B, which one do you pick, think performed better? And they usually pick the one that looks a bit sexier. And then we show the ad results and it's like, guess what? We thought that was a sexier one too. Right. And in the end, that's why the testing method is so uh, testing mindset is so critical because at the end of the day, we want, we don't want to rely on a sample size of one us, me, my gut only essentially, essentially what we're doing is we're serving ads at scale to thousands and thousands of people. So, and we have a framework for being able to identify with as little spend as possible or as, as, as efficient of spend as possible, as quickly as possible, which ones are working and which ones aren't. Right. And I think that brings up sort of the next point to this is like, all right, we're talking about really how to test messaging. And there's going to be messaging that's going to be on brand, very typical, very sort of bland. We found that those are the ones that the customer wants. Oh, that's totally on brand. We love that. But it's typically it's not that one that works because you do you have to stand out in the market. It's an awfully crowded newsfeed right now. You do have to create some level of cognitive dissonance, some level of, you know, a, a attention grabbing, however you actually do it. And then you're on to the testing phase. You get the buy-in. All right, we're going to do these ones that are a little bit more branded, a little bit more on our side, and then maybe ones that are a little bit more, you would never run these in your life as a founder, but because we've got this experience, we're going to run those too. So you've got sort of your aggregate of messages. How do you guys go about methodically testing? Because the customer is probably saying, well, you know, if you test all those, it's going to be a lot of money and I'm never really going to grow. I might actually be losing money my first month with you guys. Like, how do you balance all that, keeping KPIs, CPAs, ROAS goals, all that sort of stuff in mind? A big piece of that, again, comes back down to that initial intake process for us to collaboratively come up with what the how we're going to divvy up the budget. So they are, by that point, already clued into, all right, well, these are the type of ads that are going to be at top of funnel and also the budget allocation for top of funnel, middle funnel, bottom funnel. And depending on case to case, because we're, we're starting to look at naturally before we even take them on as a client, we already have a look into their ad account. We understand whether there are other traffic sources or whether they're working with influencers, what is the low hanging fruit, where are the wins? So we definitely have, we, we earmark where the wins we believe are and the low-hanging fruit to be able to balance those that KPI side. And then we allocate certain ones to go, these are the ones that we right now just don't know what we don't know. Let's allocate some budget there, understand what the threshold looks like from an AOV standpoint. If we're spending above this amount of money, let's just kill it. And we just math it out with them to go, all right, so based off of these tests, let's ballpark when we're going to kill it based off of whatever metrics that we're going to have without inundating them too much. And that's always a really tricky game because you don't want to nerd. We don't at least want to nerd a client out to death where they're like, I'm not catching up anymore. I've got this spreadsheet in front of me. You guys are number talking like crazy. So as long as we get buy-in, and this is a, in fact, a, an emotional KPI and and something that we 
everyone on the intake team knows to do or during the intake phase knows to do. Once we get that emotional buy-in and like Chris Voss says, uh, he looks for the that's right. Mm-hmm. Once we have our version of a that's right, a lot of the time the client will be able to defer that initial bit of trust to go, all right, let's just run with this. That's a big point, right? <laughs> like that's a point of inflection. That's when you know that the relationship all of a sudden has become less vendor client and now more partner. Like you guys are, as one of my old bosses used to say, you're singing out of the same hymnal. So, I mean, that's when really things, the magic starts to happen. The testing itself, like how do you guys really do it from a tactical perspective, keeping in mind, all right, AOVs, you know, CPA, KP, whatever your KPI is, like you have to be mindful. This is the customer's money. (laughs) But how do you test thoroughly getting signals that are relevant and statistically significant to a certain degree so that you say, all right, now we've figured out what works. Like, how do you guys do that? So essentially from a creative standpoint, a, a big part of it is dictated. So vo- from a volume of testing standpoint, a lot of it naturally is dictated by budget. So it kind of goes the other way around. Instead of us pitching and presenting, this is the volume that we want to test. We go, all right, what is the budget? And then what can we afford to test, first of all? And from on the next standpoint, tactically, when it comes down to being able to test, again, it comes down a lot of it client to client. Like some of our, some clients that we take on have an allocated budget, you know, 10 on the, on the lowest end, 10, 15, 20 K, for example, but they've never actually endeavored into paid acquisition before. It, their success has just come from, or their success to date has just come from really great organic or they've pushed it on personally jumping on Facebook lives and they're pushing the product. So a lot of them, what we are doing is going away and looking at, okay, well, we have no past Facebook data. So let's build up that data first. We used to do this before. It's really, really dumb. I don't know why we did it. I think it was just bravado, but we would essentially, even though a client, it's so dumb, I'm I'm almost embarrassed to say it. Even though a client might have an ad account that was running well, for some dumb reason, we would go restructure things, mm. which was the dumbest thing, mm. right? Whereas now what we do is go, okay, well, how do we maintain KPI? Start testing a few other things in their ta- from a tactical standpoint to go, do we have to tweak anything for now? Or how do we plan out the, tr- the transitional piece so that it starts looking like we can weave our methodologies and our strategies into what is already working fairly well a lot of the time because they don't want to do the media buying in-house anymore or the founder doesn't want to do it himself he needs to move on other parts of the business in terms of metrics it essentially comes down to if you don't have any data we need to start looking at the all the you know all the soft metrics right view content add to cart initiate checkouts see where the bottlenecks are and then diagnose accordingly if you already have data, then we start looking at, again, those soft metrics to figure out where those bottlenecks are within the existing data and then remedy those to improve. So it, it's, it's such a fluid thing, but the underpinning principle is always accumulate as much data as possible. And then once you have that statistical significance, be able to determine where the, where the bottlenecks are and focus in on that one area. Because sometimes I think as uh, media buyers, 
especially for those more creative ones within our team, they're just excited to try new angles when mm. we might have a sleeper that, hey, this one actually, if we just had one small tweak here because this is the bottleneck, this might be the one that hums. Do you guys, do you use A-B testing? Like, how do you do it? Do you have your own tools? Like when you are testing different ways in which to approach, you know, with some education, obviously, from hopefully some past experience, having them run Facebook ads, it's usually the first thing. It's like, all right, well, what, what, what were they running in the past that maybe they forgot about that worked a while back? So that's more of a deep dive kind of thing. But so you're testing sort of controls, you're testing, you know, new ideas. What's the mechanism that you guys use to do it? Do you do third party tools? Do you use Facebook tools? Do you just sort of eyeball it? Like what's what's the process typically? A lot of eyeballing right now, rather than relying on, you know, for example, DCO with the dynamic creative optimization, for example, when, when that first came out, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be the next best thing. And then we tried digging into it and you can't see the combination of performances and you can only look at individual elements. And I was hoping for some type of super magic. I had a different picture in my head is what I'm trying to say. Come on, Facebook. Like, was Me too. Here. Yeah. Keep developing that thing. Because if, if that thing comes through with, if it looks like, if it can look like the picture I have in my head and spit out what the different permutations are and how well they do, that would be amazing. But essentially right now it is a lot of eyeballing because we don't rely that much on DCO across the whole agency. Some of our strategists use it. Some of them uh, don't. A lot of them use it, for example, at bottom of funnel, just so we can avoid ad fatigue. We just let it cycle through and let the algorithm do what it needs to do. But essentially, yes, absolutely. Having a control and having a variable and hope, you know, getting, making sure that we are always testing so that we can find the new control so at least we have some type of scientific method as the, the fundamental underpinnings of the whole thing. What's really interesting is, and I'd love to hear, I'm trying to, I might, I might end up inadvertently flipping the tables here because I'm, I'm so eager to ask you this question, interviewing the interviewer. Naturally with most agencies, there is a, like a towel of how to do things, right? The way, the guiding mm-hmm. way. Do then your individual execution teams have the liberty to kind of add their own flavor into it beyond that initial way? We do our best to do that within the confines of a structure. <laughs> because I think one of the things that if you have too much, if you have too much uh, SOP, which is standard operating procedure, if you have too much rigidity to your standard operating procedures, it doesn't allow for innovation. So, you know, you can embed a fair amount of innovation on a million dollar a month ad spend when it's in the five figures, you can't really hide it quite as much. So striking that balance between this is our testing guidelines, you know, we do have a protocol that we that we do use for testing, but it's not universal because it's not necessarily applicable to all customers, but the biggest part of what we do is finding messaging that works. How do you actually go about testing? We tend to fall back on the Facebook tools, but then we don't necessarily have as much rigor as I would probably want. So it's a, it's a fine line between the two, but yeah, we do have procedures for it, but also because things are so dynamic and things are changing all the time. Like we had high hopes for DCO too. I was like, this is going to be awesome. You know, get all the different, you know, 
you know, I'm not really dream come true. It's going to spin out like the perfect headline post copy and image. And that's the one that that combination is the one that we're going to use for that audience. Didn't quite turn out that way. So it's more like an eyeball. Like, uh, that headline's kind of working and that image is kind of working. Let's put them together. And that lookalike audience. So we'll do different ways of doing it. But I still think that the testing feature of Facebook has, as much as it's a great platform, it's the best advertising platform on the planet, in my opinion, I think the testing features inside the platform itself have a lot to be desired. And it's, it's great to hear your take on the SOPs and the rigidity and all that. Again, that I think that that's the, that's the tension that always has to exist between one and the other, right? So, so we're, we're facing the same type of deal where we have those testing frameworks. Luke, our head of media buying, he's constantly refining and tweaking. And then each team, because they have that autonomy, they can then go situational application. Yeah. And I mean, for us, like when you're a senior media buyer or, or, a, or a media buyer, we, was, we have sort of three levels of media buying. And then there's the ads manager who are the, who are the ones that are sort of newer and are working under a media buyer. The, the higher you are, you know, the, the more experience you have and like you're spending customers money here. So you can't be cavalier about it. We do, you know, promote and actively want our media buyers and our creative team members to be innovative and to try new things like try new split testing features, like try, you know, the AB test feature with a lot of different ways, try, you know, off the creative conversation here, like manual bidding, like figure out like, where does that really work? Where do rules really work? You know, and we don't have a blanket what size fits all for any of those things, but it has to come back to this is a human-based business and there is no better way of managing ads than through human means. We have not found that third-party software, split testing softwares actually do the trick for us. Like we've been able to grow very effectively without it and we've tested all of them. And, you know, if there's anything I'd probably want to do as an agency owner is to create our own, you know, I'm not much of a dev person, but the point is like, there's an opportunity there, especially when it comes to split testing, to be able to really get it really precise. But then again, that doesn't account for innovation. Like there's, that's why we're trying to hire like really smart people is we want you to be innovative. Yes, follow the SOP, follow the rules, but then break the rules, you know? But keep in mind, there's downside risk here. You want to mitigate downside risk to the customer, to the CPA, to the KPI, really, at the end of the day, because this KPI is either a CPA-based or ROAS-based for us, but don't stifle the innovation. Absolutely, hard, everything, hard in, everything in servitude of, yeah, absolutely. So. I think one of the cool things, and you, you've definitely utilized this in a lot of your creative, is the UGC element. And that's when I think of like the cool side of it. Like, you know, I've seen a lot of your Instagram uh, ads for some of your customers. And obviously you is that like follow you on Instagram. It's like, there's a cool element, which also is really helpful at conversion. And a lot of it comes from like really sort of rough video, like UGC stuff, not really like on brand. I'm air quoting again because they can't see the video here, but it's the stuff that I know. I'm like, that's really good. It's cool. And it's converting. And then you're pulling in some level of UGC. Like, how do you guys kind of balance all that with getting that from the customer as well as sort of figuring out how it fits into the overall mix? Again, for context, for 
five to six year ago me would look at that and go, that would not stand a chance at converting. Like <laughs> who wouldn't, who would interact with that? Who would engage with that? Who would buy from that? That does not communicate trustworthy brand. Boy, was I like, right. boy, was I wrong? It's me too. It, <laughs> And UGC, by the way, user generated content, we should just in case you're not familiar with that term. But anyway, go ahead, D. For sure. <laughs> First of all, and you you mentioned it already in the ad amplifier and the, the those awesome PDFs that you, you guys give out. A big part of the buyer journey is being able to hear from other buyers, right? Some form of trust, some form of testimonial, some form of I'm not going to get swindled when I spend my money online with this shop that I don't know exists truly or not or exists in Russia. There's a, there's a, there's that, that bit of apprehension in there for most people, I would imagine, that have not, are not avid e-commerce buyers or, you know, they don't shop online as much. So much in the same way, from our standpoint, we encourage all of the clients to go as much as possible, get as much UGC as you can from your existing customers, pull from your IG feed, run some type of campaign where, and it doesn't have to be a paid one. It could be something as simple as run a hashtag, use this hashtag to get featured on our Instagram account, things like that. Following that also, being able to reach out to influencers, micro, even some macro influencers, some bigger ones as well, to structure deals where either they promote the product via stories or via posts and or provide you with content allow and always make sure that you have a release form whenever you're working with influencers. But reaching out to those types of individuals to then say, uh, hey, we would love to use your content for on our on our page, for example. Keep it as, you know, don't make it so technical as like to fuel our ads and this, that, and the other because they're influencers after all. And those individuals are already so great at creating content for their audiences. So that's also where we got we get a lot of our, our creative inspiration is us being able to go on to looking at different influencers. And I'm not talking only about Instagram. I'm, we're talking Snapchat. We're talking TikTok to look at the way they structure their content from a graphical standpoint, from a storytelling standpoint, and then adopt those into the various different touch points. So it doesn't have to be necessarily UGC across the board, but even UGC at, you know, being able to go UGC at top of funnel from a sell benefits, not features standpoint, and then maybe middle of funnel now that they're, now that they have interacted already, we can then actually start talking a bit about some of the features that are cool, like, you know, for maybe a, a, a hoodie, the type of zipper that it has, or the type of fabric in a zoom in featuring that side of things, or if it's a, if it's, if it's anything to do with skincare, being able to then talk about the different types of ingredients that go in there, for example. And that again, can be fueled by UGC, which is very, very affordable and definitely inexpensive compared to going out to a video marketing agency, for example, and having that very above the line type produced stuff. So UGC is, is, so critical right now. And it makes a ton of sense. It just weaves itself into the zeitgeist of social. Yeah. And I think that's the important part to remember is that, you know, we, we say it here a lot. It's like, don't tell people how cool you are. Have other people tell people how cool you are. I mean, just like, it's just a basic thing. And we always really thought that 
testimonials, UGC kind of content, demonstrating kind of content was only really good at retargeting levels. We're now using it at, at level one, our, our cold traffic. And a great episode in perpetual traffic here is episode 242, where we actually talk about that inside the Boom by Cindy Joseph account, where they were, you know, now that ad account is back up and running, but it was largely UGC related front end content about $32,000 a day they were spending on that. But the point was, is that it was weaved, it was interweaved with benefits, with product placements, really intricate. And definitely go back and, and listen to that episode because I think UGC is a really important part of, of social just in general. And I think that if it's used in the right way, it can be really high converting. Harder to do with some types of products. Don't get me wrong. You know, like, Hey, you know, signing up for a webinar, you know, not necessarily maybe just send them to the page with an image, you know, you don't have to do like a, Hey, I bought agency accelerator and it's great. Go here. Like, no, that's not going to work. So, but you have to use it in the right way. But I think on e-commerce, especially, especially if you got something new and novel or, you know, the, the way your audience interacts or consumes the product is unique. UGC is a, is a tremendous way to not only just get your retargeting audiences to convert, but cold traffic as well. So I've noticed that maybe we can, in the show notes, we can throw a couple examples of stuff that you guys have done in the past, just to sort of show people a little bit more of like what you guys do and how you kind of produce these. Cause we're, you know, here we are talking about, you know, cool and converting and uh, it's, it's really important for people to get sort of an idea as to what we're talking about here. So D, this has been great. So far, so happy to have you on the show. Where can people find you and what you're all about over at Right Hook? Amazing. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share that. So if you want to follow my ramblings, Instagram, I'm trying to lift my Instagram game. So it's at Real Dose of D. And I'm also trying to, maybe you guys can be my accountable accountability coaches. I'm also trying to lift my LinkedIn game. Task number one, update that damn profile picture. <laughs> If you search my name, D Dang, it'll show up. Uh, and on right hook, uh, so, right the right hook side, it's righthookdigital.com and Instagram, which we are trying to lift our game there. Don't have a social media manager allocated just yet, but that is at right hook digital. Very cool. And also, you've got a pretty awesome uh, podcast that you do every single week, the Growth and Greatness Show, which I know uh, somebody on this show here today was a guest on a few weeks back. I know. Very <laughs> lucky to be able to to get that said person onto the show. It, it's so fun. I the Growth and Greatness Show one hand on heart, perpetual traffic, Lewis Houses, a School of Greatness, inside the Actor Studio. Those were the the things that were nagging at the back of my brain to go, dude, you've got to do something like this. It just looks so fun and so enriching to life. So when coronavirus hit, I just on a whim went, you know what? Let's remove this from the back burner. Let me just reach out to several people and see if they'll say yes, expecting two thirds of them to say no because they're all so busy and dealing with the uncertainty. All of them came back and said, yes, Ralph, you being one of them. And now we're going on to episode 20 pretty soon, which I'm very excited about because conventional wisdom states that 20 is when most podcasts die because the hosts give up. So I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping to double that and, uh, you know, do it. I'll show you. Yeah. And that's, but all the shows are just on facebook.com slash growgreat.tv. If you want to come 
um, watch that. Had Ralph on. That was that was super fun having you on too. I think I th- those those final twelve questions super fun. Yeah, that was uh, that was that was a good time. He he definitely threw a threw a, a right hook. <laughs> I guess I was looking oh. for the left, the roundhouse. The right hook came on. So yeah, definitely worth a listen there. None of that was scripted, but what that made it so much fun. And definitely check that out. Growth and greatness. We'll leave all the links uh, in the show notes for everything that we mentioned here. But D, it's been great having you on, man. Great that, you know, we seem to be coming out of this crazy thing right now, which is pretty darn good. And great to hear that you're continuing to prosper there at, uh, at Right Hook and all the success that you've had with the podcast as well. It's really cool to see. Man, I appreciate you. And I appreciate this opportunity. This, no lie, this podcast, longtime listener, it's, it's unreal to be on it. Not, no lie. It's, it, it feels funny that I'm right here right now speaking to Ralph Burns when a few years ago I was like, wow, these guys really know what they're doing. Unreal. Full circle. It's, it's, it's a really cool moment. Oh, cool. Well, glad to have provided some value through the years here. And, you know, hey, that's what we're all about here. We try and bring it every single week and open up the kimono and tell you guys what we're doing so you can take the best practices and continue to grow your agency if you've got one or your business. So this has been episode 260. Like I said before, uh, all the links and all the resources will be in the show notes over at digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Check out 260 there and also check out the and all the uh, links that he had mentioned. So thanks for having you on, man. And uh, until next week, see ya. listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.